Hello, I'm Claire from Wild Ginger Running, the trail and ultra running YouTube channel. And this is the podcast version of my weekly live chat with an athlete, coach or other running expert. The link to the original film on YouTube is in the show notes. Check out my Instagram and YouTube channel for more training advice, inspiration and gear reviews. Everything is Wild Ginger Running and my blog is wildgingerrunning.co.uk. Support me on Patreon if you enjoy this free advice at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Enjoy this podcast and see you next week for more. Good evening and welcome to Wild Ginger Running with the Scotney continuing takeover. We hope you're all well as we kind of head towards the end of February. Hopefully things are warming up for wherever you are. Uh, in the UK, things are getting a bit warmer now. Last week was freezing cold. It was up to our eyeballs in snow and ice. <laughs> up to my yeah. eyeballs in photos about it on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I think we're, we're, we're all kind <laughs> Sorry of... Sorry about that, everyone. <laughs> kind of boring everybody with those. And uh, uh, how's things going for you this week, Jen? Really good. I'm out running. Brilliant, yeah. You nearly weren't here this evening, were you? <laughs> Are you going to tell them about the incident I just had on a rope swing? Uh, yes, we, we had to rescue Jen on a rope swing earlier. We might post a video on Instagram later no, on no, so no, people no, can no, see it, but that. thankfully you were able to come off it. We didn't need mountain rescue or any emergency services, but uh, thank you that you, know, you were able still to come here this evening. And good evening to all those who are joining us live on YouTube. It's great to see you this evening. Uh, you can interact with us as we interview our guest this evening, add a comment and ask our guest a question. In fact, who is our guest this evening? We have got Anne-Marie Watson, live from the swankiest camper van I've ever seen. I just have so much fan envy. (laughs) I mean, it's just perfect. But Anne-Marie is just a fantastic, successful runner. But you've also done Ironman, adventure racing, all sorts. Um, definitely a lot of endurance. I think you just rocked up to MDS and came second lady. Um, and you won UTMB weight races or podiumed at UTMB. And um, I can't remember. Oh, so many. <laughs> you can tell us all. I was thinking of all of them because I remember you talking about Jura. I don't even know your results from there. Um, you just seem to do such a wide range of races all across the globe. Um, so thank you for joining us tonight. Yeah. Oh, and so you're in a van. Whereabouts is is your van? Um, it's it's it, it, it doesn't sound particularly exciting when I say that it's parked on my driveway in Wiltshire. But <laughs> I love my van. Um, I'll admit lockdown was a little bit bumpy, very bumpy. And we can get into that later. Um, so my van is my pride and joy. And it was like the one good thing that kind of came out of lockdown. So she's called PJ. She's a Citroen Relay Enterprise. Um, and yeah, she is absolutely gorgeous. She's like my little nest. Um, having never really had a home, having been in the army and lived like a nomad, this is kind of, I've been able to choose the curtains, which if you've been in the army, military <laughs> curtains are kind of like renowned as being particularly ugly. So yeah, it's a delight. And it's lovely talking to you guys. I recognise the sofa from when I headed up to stay with you in between um, lockdown. I don't even know and... when that was. Yeah, it seems <laughs> at some point last year, we did manage to see you. <laughs> lovely. So yeah, there was me on the sofa, though I think Sherlock took up more room than I did. And I was kind of curled on the edge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at the moment he's asleep on on his own chair at the moment, so he might 
kind of join us at some point, but you never know. So yeah, don't take it personally, Emery. That he's not kind of come here um, <laughs> to, to, to join in this evening. And we get lots of people already saying good evening. So good evening to Catherine, Paul, and Neil, who's joining us at the moment. So yeah, so your your van was your project for last year. So did you have grand plans? Once you got the van, <laughs> you might go, get it off the driving okay, wheelchair. Yeah, take it somewhere exciting. <laughs> was it? Um, well, there was the saga of the tiles, um, which again is completely ridiculous. You get a camper van, and what do you wait for? The the bespoke tiles that were made for it. So the delivery was a little bit delayed. I won't lie. So um, I got up to the Lake District, uh, which was lovely. I got down to Cornwall, but other than that, it's just kind of been local. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, coming into spring summer I'll be able to go a little bit further afield and you know ideally I'd love to get back to my mountain home in Chamonix at some point um but yeah who knows who knows yeah and, and how have you been finding lockdown um I won't lie it's been pretty horrific um <laughs> and I, I get very conscious talking about it um when I catch myself it just sounds so first world because I'm you know I'm very very lucky i've got my health um i've got a roof over my house i've got money in the bank and i can eat so you know there's loads and loads to be grateful for and i'm very aware of that though it's almost uh you know we have our reality we have our lives and when they change how do you kind of move through it it's almost like that transition towards grief because i've lost a lot normally um you know i'd be racing on the international circuit i'd be traveling at least once a month which again it just sounds so um so lucky and I'm aware that my carbon footprint isn't exactly ideal though I would bounce behind bounce between you know UK Chamonix racing in you know Sri Lanka Gran Canaria Morocco just kind of following the circuit and it's like been a massive part of my identity ultimately I've built my business in performance coaching and running coaching so I can have this nomadic lifestyle I love to travel I love the ultra running community and it's just that element of running overseas on the trails in the mountains it's very different to the UK and ultimately I've lived abroad a lot predominantly when I was in the military and then when I left the army I lived in the Middle East Australia back to the Middle East so the UK hasn't really been my home that much um, and having to be in South West England which it's beautiful and I have been exploring the world on my doorstep it's just a very different lifestyle and it, that's taken a lot of adjustment to kind of go from being an athlete and I, for me, not having the races as something to structure my year, it's a massive big hole. And I've really felt that and suffered from a motivation perspective um, just kind of getting out the door every day in training. So have you kind of balanced that then being a coach and an athlete, you know, dealing with that that kind of that emotion or that kind of like you say grief almost that kind of dealing with right there's all these changes going on have you had to kind of behave or act differently as a coach as you when you were kind of talking there as, as an athlete have you managed to kind of balance that or and or to bring some perspective for the athletes you're coaching or you know to seem I don't know either positive or um, in some way encouraging people to kind of get through either last lockdown or this current lockdown and Within my coaching work, it's, it's kind of split into two, though, to be honest, there's lots of interconnections that move between the two. So part of my work is very much within the business world. So that's working with leaders um, and supporting them. And then the, I've got my athletes as well. So within the business world, um, 
clearly, you know, everyone's working from home. That divide between work and life has got like super blurry, non-existent. There's been a lot more kind of mental health, emotional frustration, fatigue. And I'm there ultimately to support my clients. So they're talking about it. So I'm there holding space for them. So for me, it's how can I ensure that I'm not kind of carrying and taking on that emotional or mental load long term I'm able to process it and release it so I've got that from kind of like a work perspective which I love I feel absolutely honored getting an insight into people's lives um, and how people are so open and honest and the changes that people made I'm continually um, inspired by my clients I learn from them kind of every conversation I have um, so that's kind of the business world and then kind of athlete wise um, I mean it's been a real a real mix and yes when I'm the coach I'm there to I want to be real I want to, you know, share that I'm finding it hard too. I'm suffering with motivation. I just don't want to put like a positive, happy face on. Yay, everything's fabulous because it's not. Um, So I want to be there to be able to just kind of hear their concerns, hear their frustrations and give them a bit of a nudge. You know, I had an athlete on Friday night, for example, he's got a... Um, a 90k in April it's the longest he's done he's you know long-term project working up to the UTMB over several years and he had a big night kind of Friday night and then going out and doing a dub back-to-back on Saturday and he'd had a tough week at work and I knew he had so sometimes it's just a matter of you know dropping a little personalized what's it hey just checking in how's it going I mean I was about to jump on a zoom call with America and I would far rather be out running at night and I let him know that and that for him was like actually I'm really lucky to be able to go out and do this um, session of an evening and the feedback I got back from him he was like I'm so glad I went out physically and mentally it was just what I needed so you know we're kind of it's a bit cliche we're all in this together but we're all separate but we're all going through the same storm but with different experiences and it's just been there to appreciate that and just be kind and supportive to each other yeah and so interesting as a coach you kind of briefly touched on you know an athlete as an athlete how you're coping with it so yeah, as an athlete, what what have you been doing to keep the motivation to train, to run during these kind of different lockdowns? So so I work with a coach, um, Mike from Purple Patch, who's actually more of a triathlon track coach, though I kind of come in away from more of a triathlon cross discipline background and I like that multi training. Um in a way I've had so much going on kind of mentally and emotionally and I've been dealing with that I've been getting really quite fatigued so my training from a physical perspective is actually dialed back slightly um, and I'm on a three-week cycle which is kind of build build then freedom week and actually to have that to be able to go and you know hit the trails because ultimately it's the trails is what I love though they're a bit of a mud bath at the moment I won't lie um, and then you know I've been doing quite a lot of stuff on the turbo which during the winter for me it's like my stock turbo i don't go on the bike in the winter out on the uk roads because i just think it's dangerous mm. um i would normally be heading overseas for a training camp now whether that's in la santa in lanzarote or in spain and um, but clearly that's not on the cards this year again first world problem though it's for me that has been like a massive motivation for the last five years is to have that break and it is amazing like pre-covid you could get a really cheap flight to malaga and then go and train down in the sierra Nevada just really nicely so you know I have weekly check-ins with Mike he's great kind of giving me a bit of a pep talk and race wise you know yes I've got a calendar because everything was postponed last year so there are races in the calendar for this year I'm not convinced they're going to happen and it's almost I don't want to put too much hope on them happening and I've almost got like a plan b 
I'll continue doing some like local FKTs, which just give me a bit of, you know, let's get out and just do some routes around Wiltshire and Somerset that haven't had FKTs done before or females haven't been done out and done them. And I kind of, it's just a different kind of personal project, but it's very different to standing on the start line of the UTMB or Gran Canaria is, yeah, I know that you know, Marcus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it has been a completely different yeah you know we kind of touched on this before we came you know before we went live didn't we kind of how unusual it has been and how yeah all our motivation and I think you know you're absolutely right as coaches and and as athletes we do have to be honest with each other and kind of listen and yeah it's brilliant like you're saying we're all kind of weathering the storm together but it's you know we're all having different experiences whilst being in, in this storm and it's great that you know you've got a coach who kind of touches every week kind of you know you have that reach out to and kind of keep that motivation going so we kind of touched on a little bit about you've been doing some races so when did you and how did you discover this amazing kind of discipline and sport of ultra marathon running so how did you kind of fall into it or did you fall into it or was it kind of like crowbarred into it and you're kind of going oh my goodness what am i doing well, it was, um, I, I've always thought that my first ultra was the CCC, um, you know, part of the UTMB series, uh, which I'm sure a lot of the watchers will and listeners will have heard of. Is that back um, in 2008? So, yeah, that was <laughs> I feel a photo coming on. Don't worry, we'll talk about your kit in a minute. Just carry oh, on. <laughs> Is, is that the one with me and my dad stood there? Yeah, yeah. When, when actually, when you kind of sent it across, I had to take a double take because I thought yours with uh, Ran Fines initially. I was like, <laughs> hang on, do you kind of photo bomb? You got to see Ran Fines at the start. I went, oh, quick, Ran, take a, can I have a photo with you? But no, when I realised it was your dad. Your so hang French. on, this might be your first first um, ultra, but it might not be, you were saying. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> so during a, a during a COVID lockdown clear out, as I know a lot of people has been doing, I found um, a certificate for a 50 miler um, in, I can't remember where it was, it was things in the Peak District. I did it as part of um, like a cadet, a cadet team. And it was like the Tour, Tour de Trigues 50 miler back in 1997. And I was like, oh my God, that was my first ultra. Uh, <laughs> but I would have been um, 18. So, do you yeah, know how long it took you to do that? Oh, I think it was uh, about 21 hours, 21 and a half hours. Um, yeah, for 50 miles. <laughs> kind of, but I'm guessing you weren't, I mean, you haven't, doesn't necessarily look like you've got lightweight kit on the photo that we've got, but I'm guessing you didn't have lightweight kit and were trying to run it when you were in the cadets um oh, oh i was assuming it was a walk sorry <laughs> <laughs> so to be honest i have very little memory of the one or two trip. absolutely no idea at all the ccc one <laughs> guys <it's... laughs> i was just imagining like the army hikes <laughs> <laughs> this is the problem when we know you too well. We're just like each other laugh. Oh, we apologise to our, our viewers and listeners. I have never corpsed on a live show yet, but that, I've just literally corpsed. There we go. Right, I'm, I'm back in. The, I'm back in the room now. I'm back. Sorry. That was my reaction when you asked um, Lizzie Hawker if Monterosa was hilly. I was just being a bit vocal, wasn't I? It's just a 
Like a Derbyshire <laughs> phrase. Anyway, sorry, sorry. Back to the CCC. Um. So yeah, CCC is probably um just how not to do an ultra. To be honest, um, my kit was very much cobbled together from what I had. And let's be honest, like kit thirteen years ago was so different to what it is now. Um, so I pretty much had like a pair of hiking boots, a random pair of lycra leggings. I didn't even have a watch. I remember getting to one of the checkpoints and asking my mum if I could borrow her watch, like one with a hand kind of thing. So this was very much kind of pre-garments and two or anything like that. I've got like the world's biggest rucksack kind of going on and like a proper just micro fleece. So it was, it, it was just, there was no preparation. My training, I think, was like, to be fair, I'd done the Everest Marathon the year before. Um, but again, I just, I kind of had this, grit and I just knew I was going to get around it and I literally hit the cutoff at the checkpoints as they were closing so you know you kind of you go in and the food has pretty much been decimated and you're grabbing like a monkey bit of cheese and hoping there's a few crisps left and a banana um and then I was literally getting kicked out of the aid stations as they were like collapsing the tents and the chairs behind me um but somehow I managed to get around it was a bit of a bit of a small miracle um and yeah, I remember looking at the people who did the UTMB and thinking like, oh, my God, to do that, you must be absolutely insane. You must be like a proper athlete. I can never do that. And well, yeah, clearly fast forward a few years, I was there on the start line. But, you know, the CCC, it was it was a very special race for me. My family's had an apartment in Chamonix since 2000. So I've always considered it home. Um, when I was in the army, I was based in Germany a lot. So rather than fly back to the UK to Newcastle, which is where I'm from, um, clearly going to Chamonix for Christmas, for New Year, for the summer was far more attractive. Um, so I used to kind of drive down and spend time with my family there. Um, so yeah, Chamonix is very special to me. Um, and yeah, I, I miss it. I hope to get out um, there, there sometime soon. So you did, so that was 2008, you did CCC. Mm-hmm. Were you still in the military as well then? You still in your yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. what was your role in the army? What were you doing? Um, so I was in the army for nine years. Um, I went through Sandhurst in 2000 and I joined the Royal Logistics Corps. So within that, um, as an officer, you kind of change roles every couple of years. So I did a couple of years in kind of transport management um, and then I specialised in food services. I like food. Always had a bit of thing for food. So... Um, and then my last job was in a training development role um, at Newcastle University, working with the students there who were going to go on and join um, either the Army, the Navy, the RAF or the Civil Service. So that, in a way, was my kind of stepping stone into kind of the leadership development world performance coaching. And um, though ultimately, as an officer, I, I very much realised that my style was very coach-like. It was all about listening. It was all about asking questions and very much avoiding being in an office as much as possible. You know, I very much feel that I was brought up free range. I love to roam. Um, I feel very confined. Even at school, I remember being sat there looking out the window, waiting for the bell to ring so I could go outside and play. Um, so I'm very much uh, the outside nature is my natural environment. And that's where I feel happiest. Do you think those skills you kind of maybe learnt in the military have transferred? So you talked about, you know, you kind of ended up going into a coaching role or being more of a coach. But did you find any of the military skills you were learning have helped 
with your ultra running because you've done one or two races where you've got to be quite organized to be successful and you've been successful do you do you think those skills you learned or do you think the way you approach your ultra running is just through kind of what you've learned by doing many different races so I think it, it kind of it almost stems back to my childhood. You know, I kind of grew up quite free range. I did Duke of Edinburgh. I'd done a lot of treks, lots of expeditions, bivvied out. So I'd already had that kind of grounding. I'd say that the army definitely made it a lot slicker. So my first um, job, I went through Arctic warfare training. So I spent two months in Norway <clears throat> with the Marines doing the, um, you know, cutting a hole in the ice and jumping into the snow and pulling a polk with your rifle and your bergen and i'm quite small let's be honest and the bergen is pretty much as big as me um so and when it's kind of you know it got down to minus 30 it was absolutely freezing so your your admin or looking after yourself gets really really kind of fast and tight and you know where everything lives so then going and doing something like marathon de Sable, for example it definitely helps because ultimately you need to be able to look after your kit. You have to be able to look after yourself. You need to be able to look after your feet. And actually a lot about of being on exercise. And I've also um, led various expeditions. I've got my mountain leader qualification, which is, you know, it links perfectly to being in the outdoors. You know, I've got that knowledge. Um, and again, that kind of translates into the, the multi-stage element of endurance racing, I feel, and also some of the adventure racing that I've done. You know, so I've done 24, 48-hour adventure racing. And again, a lot of that is is looking after yourself. It's looking after your kit. It's fueling yourself. And actually, the running or the physical activity part of it is it's only a fraction of it, really. Cool. Yeah, and that's interesting to hear because, uh, you know, even as coaches ourselves, it's amazing how some people try and win, just kind of wing an ultra marathon, and you just kind of, and then they wonder why they don't always have such a good time of not having been all a bit more organised. So you did CCC in 2008. You cruised the cutoffs. You just about managed to get some crumbs. Sorry, I didn't mean. You managed to get some crumbs <laughs> off the tables. Um, was it a positive experience? Did you kind of go, oh, I want to do some more? I mean, you said you'd already been in Chamonix for about eight years, so you'd obviously seen the races happen every year. You've maybe seen some of the other races, what happened in the valley as well. How long was it then before you then dipped your toe back into doing ultramarathons? Or did you kind of, at first, you was like, wow, this is the best kind of act, sporting activity I've ever done in my life? Uh, I mean, the CCC, it's very much got a, a, a fond place, though. I don't know, I've been so lucky and travelled so much and done so many amazing races. So I think the next ultra I did was actually the, uh, was it the Dead Sea? Dead Sea one? Or was that a marathon? I get confused. <laughs> or when I was in Sydney, I did the, the North Face 100 in the Blue Mountains. And then again, that wasn't, that, that was kind of like pre, I always think that, Really, Marathon de Sable in 2015, that was when, like, ultra running, I really started to embrace it. Um, before that, I'd done more endurance. So, yes, I was doing the adventure racing. I was doing the 70.3s. I'd done um, one full distance Ironman. So it was more kind of mixed endurance. But it was with the Marathon de Sable that I realized, like, actually, coming second, that was a massive confidence boost for me. So that is when I really kind of started focusing on the Marathon de Sable. Um, sorry, on kind of other kind of ultra events um so you actually trained for mds while you were in the military like was it on like on a tiny little compound <laughs> oh no 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 so was that... so, so i was living in saudi arabia when i did the marathon to stop i'd left the army i left uh, the army okay. in 2009 
so I left the army in 2009, gave myself a bit of a belated gap year, went traveling, led various expeditions in um, Ecuador, Kenya, out the Alps. Um, and then I got a job in the Middle East. Then I went to Sydney for a couple of years back to the Middle East. So I was living in Saudi Arabia and living on this compound, which was literally 1.5 kilometers um, <laughs> circumference. So, I, yes, I did like the majority of my training for Marathon de Saab around the around the compound, Cordoba. <laughs> so on a Thursday night, which is like Friday night, so Thursday night in in Saudi Arabia is like normal Friday night. Um, people would be there kind of having, you know, Thursday night antics as you do. And there would be me with my backpack on with, uh, 10 kilograms in the back of it or whatever, basically doing like a three hour run loop, figure of eight, reverse loop, listening to podcasts and just, yeah, just getting on with it kind of thing. And what was your motivation for putting in that training for the race? If you, it sounds like you didn't expect to place so high at all in that race. So so I first stumbled across the Marathon de Saab. So, so this in my life, there's been two races I've always wanted to do. And they were the Marathon de Saab and the UTMB. So and I, I just find it amazing that I've done both and like podiumed at both as well. It's just beyond my wildest dreams. So I first stumbled across Marathon de Saab. It must have been just before I went to Sandhurst. And I went on holiday to Dubai with a ex-boyfriend and we flew back into Gatwick. And there was this group of disheveled, battered, <laughs> broken people um, with, you know, no shoes on, barefoot, flip-flops, just bloodied feet, blistered, awful. And I kind of spoke to some of them and I was like, what have you been doing? And Were like, you oh, like, which, just... which, which war zone have you been in? What, what battle have you just... <laughs> um, and they were like, oh, we've just done the Marathon de Saab. And I was like, what, what, what is the Marathon de Saab? And they, you know, gave me a abridged version and I was just like that's crazy like why would you want to do that to yourself but it was almost the seed was sown at that point and you know to be fair the marathon de Saab at that point it was there, there was nothing else like it it was one of a kind it is you know the oldest kind of multi-stage race like that um though due to my commitments in the military you know getting time off to race in the army I I I I was on operational tour. I did three operational tours in nine years um, and lots of training. So for me to actually race in the army, it, it just didn't fit with my schedule, um, that's, which is and I, I couldn't really train cons- kind of properly as well. Um, and I think with the Marathon de Sabre as well, the, 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 the cost of it, it's not a cheap event. Let's be honest. It's got a hefty price tag attached to it. Um, so I'd almost it was just in this kind of wish list pipe dream maybe some point in the future but then going to Saudi it was almost like it was my sweetener it gave me a focus it gave me structure and it actually just gave me motivation to get out of bed I really found it difficult living in Saudi Arabia as a woman and I was there I wasn't able to work because I was on a spouse's visa so I did like a bit of you know swimming coaching for the the kids in the in the the compound pool and So other than that, and it was almost, you know, back in kind of 2013, 2014, it it was before I was just beginning to think of setting my business up, though I wasn't, didn't have such a kind of, you know, blog or Instagram or, you know, Facebook and all of that. Social media wasn't quite as connected. um, So I felt very isolated. So actually having the structure to the Marathon de Saab, it gave me something to look forward to. And did you have a coach? leading up to the the race and or did you kind of self-coach yourself for the race so i 
so for the marathon de Saab, I worked with a guy called Pierre who um so when I was living in Sydney um I was a part of a triathlon club called more performance so Danny um he had kind of like squad weekly squad runs and um swims and bike cycles and like a really really lovely friendly group so I wasn't coach but I was like part of his squad but then when I moved to Saudi, I thought, actually, it'd be great to work with a coach. So I worked with one of his coaches, Pierre. So Pierre put a program together with me. And that's where I kind of first encountered, you know, the delights of training peaks and getting to love the blue line and what's happening with that. Um, so he very much kind of saw me through my marathon de Saab um, journey. And then I then switched to working with Danny and I worked with Danny all the way up until the end of 2019. And then I started to work with Mike from Purple Patch um, for 2019 just to kind of switch things up. Because, you know, I'm, I was 42 on Monday and very oh, much. Oh, happy birthday happy for birthday. Monday. You kept that quiet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, you know, it is. It's very much. I've, I've been racing and. It, it, it's almost kind of backtracking a bit as well. I've, from a triathlon perspective, I've been to the World Championships as an age grouper three times. So I've been competing at uh, a high level for what, since 2013 was the first time I went to the World Champs. So that's nine years. And I look back now and I'm like, oh my God, that's a long time. So I've gone from, you know, age 31, now I'm 42. That in itself is you change you know I've noticed my body change it does take longer to recover I need to look after myself I do a hell of a lot more yoga than I've ever done before and actually I want to be doing more S&C so it is how do you kind of switch your training to make sure you're looking after yourself because let's be honest like ultra running isn't actually that healthy and I think there's a lot of us who've probably been kind of guilty of overtraining or over racing I know that I have when I look back at some of the years I'm like I can't believe I fitted all of that in it's just mental. And then you think about the amount of travel and then I'm like trying to set a business up at the same time. It's like, whew, okay, like where does like stopping come into this? Which <laughs> I'm <crap. laughs> I mean, you, you kind of just briefly touched on that. that you've, so you've been to the triathlon, was it Ironman or triathlon world championships? So that was the Ironman 70.3. Yeah. So that's so, a half, is that, is that half 70.3? I mean, we yeah. still, I'm still in awe of because to me, I think an Ironman is, is way harder than running an ultramarathon. Just the thought of having to do three disciplines to have to kind of, I've tried running, well, biking, then running, and I know what it feels like. So I am full admiration for triathletes, especially people who do Ironman. It's kind of like way beyond me. But so you'd competed at World Champ. So was that competitive edge there growing? So when you went off to MDS, did you have any kind of inclination or did you have that desire like do you know I could possibly be first Brit or I could be in the top five or top ten female here was there any of that kind of notion in any way no (laughs) it was a total surprise I didn't I didn't I didn't have a like a clue at at all and I think it's very different like competing at Ironman 70.3 as an age grouper and like triathlon wise my swimming's crap i pretty much come out like yeah towards the back end strong on the bike and then the run i just kind of power on through so you know it is great cross training and in a way i've always you know i look back at my marathon time to 2004 when i did my first marathon you know it was a respectable time it wasn't anything kind of like 
impressive. So for me, it does seem to be that multi-stage at that period of time and the longer racing, it was my sweet spot. Now, and I can liken this back to when I did like Ultra X Sri Lanka, that really knocked me. Like the combination of the humidity, um, it just destroyed me. And actually my recovery from that took a lot longer than what I thought it would. So I think it is, it's, it's almost like five years ago, my recovery was faster and I could like spring back day to day. Now I need to be a lot more kind of careful. And it, it is, it kind of does come down to those. And I'm very much, you know, marginal gains, you know, David Brailsford kind of getting into all the detail because that is where it comes to. But yes, stood on the start line 2015. I was there basically with my mate to have a good time. Yes, I was, I, I was taking it seriously. I had cut my toothbrush down. I had cut the labels out. I was going as lightweight as possible. I didn't have enough food. I stuck to 2,000 calories, which was a stupid idea because I was constantly hungry, basically, for the entire time. Um, but, you know, you know, in the MDS, it's the long stage as well. That's what make or breaks it. And I just, you know, in a way, there's an element of luck. I had a cracking long day, um, despite starting fifth lady. And, you know, when you start... It's three hours after everybody else. <clears throat> You've got the top, I don't know how many blokes it is. And I was fifth female. So I stood on that start line knowing that everybody was faster than me. But I was like, I don't care. This is cool. They can just trot off into the horizon and I'll do my thing. And I did my thing. And I think in a way that because I had no expectations, I found that very liberating. I think in my later races, I felt the pressure to perform more. And that's been me putting the pressure on myself, which I then haven't enjoyed races quite so much recently. And like 2019 was a little bit of a car crash for me. And I, I had hoped that 2020 would be, uh, you know, a, a, a better year. And going out to Gran Canaria <clears throat> in February <clears throat> last year, I had a great race just doing the advanced version, really enjoyed it and was fourth. And I was like, okay, brilliant. This is setting up. I've been working with a new coach. This is a great, this is the start of a new season. Let's see what happened. I was due to do Mozart, um, due to do the OCC, due to go back and do Diagonal Defoe after DNFing at the end of 2019. And clearly it hasn't, it hasn't happened. So in a way, it's been a really, and now we've got another season that might not be happening and it just kind of gets longer and longer. And it's, yeah, it's hard. So it's interesting to say that. So you, yeah, you're standing on the start line of MDS and that no expectation on that that long day, that kind of no expectation. That's why I kind of asked the question because I wanted to know whether or not that that ego you maybe created during the triathlon or you know that desire to excel at the triathlon was coming through on MDS. But obviously it was you you were still finding that new ultra runner within you. So you create. So you then you started putting. And, and do you think it was it was you putting that? an external ego upon yourself or do you think it was an external motivation or do you think it was coming internally as well like you wanted to prove yourself or you just maybe got that that kind of taste and that thirst for for being successful that hunger um I, I think yeah I mean I've always been an overachiever perfectionist very conscientious in that kind of proving worth through you know be it qualifications going to the army you know commissioned top of my platoon and it, it's almost I look back on my life and there's like a catalogue of you know all A's at A level GCSE so it's like I push myself hard I put a lot of pressure on myself and it is this kind of perceived 
to prove my worth, to prove my value. Um, and where does that come from? You know, some narrative that I have created. Um, and yes, I think once I started to get results, then it was the, I need to keep performing at that level. I can't be seen to fail. Um, and I, th I think, you know, DNFing, that was a massive point for me. Like that really kind of shook me. And it was almost, I, I could have gone on, but I knew how much it would take to go on having done 100 milers. And it was almost like I didn't want to go there because I knew how much I would break myself because mentally I can push on through. And actually, this is where it kind of comes to this healthy point within ultra running. How healthy is it when you are ultimately destroying yourself? Like finishing the UTMB, I lost like two and a half kilos in, you know, just over 24 hours. And, you know, from a female perspective, it totally messes with your hormones and periods. And like, I've had my hormones tested. I kind of get my bloods done kind of fairly regularly. So I've seen the impact that it does have. Um, so it's, it's a fine line of, you know, ultimately when you're training, and my training volume is not actually that high on a weekly basis. So every time I do a, a, you know, every so often I'll check in, like, how much am I eating? Am I eating enough just on the, I don't know, food app or something? And it's trying to get the calories in. It's it's just, you know, impossible. So then if, you know, you're not eating properly for years and years and years and years, what impact does then that have on you as well? So it's, it's we've, yeah, there's a lot, very conflicting. We've actually had a question from Stuart Passmore, who's asking if you're vegan uh no so i'm not vegan i've gone i've pretty much gone veggie over the last year um and that's i don't know just more to i love eggs i pretty much have eggs most days um but yeah my my diet is predominantly vegetables um and you know it has that made much difference have i noticed a difference but well, i haven't been racing at the level i haven't been training at the level so i don't i, I can't really compare and meat wise it's just more i don't know i just think it's more the a bit of an ethical side of things it's more the taste of things and i just quite like vegetables <laughs> <laughs> do, do you kind of keep an eye on the amount of calories you eat as an ultra runner or do you kind of do as i kind of say you know like the you know why I'm on a seafood diet you know like you see food and eat it it's kind oh, of that's a joy terrible dad but but from an athlete perspective do you kind of watch you know what how much you eat do you make sure you're eating a certain amount of calories a certain amount of protein or do you kind of yeah just like I'm training so I'm just going to put fuel in the body I've got a lot less I'll use the word anal about it I did used to be really kind of quite like I'd track everything. So, you know, I'd have my sleep tracker, I'd have my HIV for training, I'd be tracking my weight, my fat, my BMI. And, you know, there's a lot of data in there. And it's really interesting to, you know, particularly like for the HIV, for example, HIV, tra H HIV for training, you know, you can see the stress that it's having on your body and you can kind of adapt and work around that. So I think I got to the point where it was like I just felt that I was quantifying my life and it gets it got quite rigid. And, you know, the whole calorie counting thing I have I've never done. I'll do it maybe 
a week every so often just as a gauge but I'm not weighing food I'm not it's just that's not what it's about you know when I'm training I'm very much real food so nuts dates um kind of velofort bars you know 33 chai gels I think are brilliant so it's none of this kind of like gels junk kind of crap food I mean I won't lie I like cake um and yeah it's all about balance and just making sure that I'm having like decent meals um I'm you know at the moment porridge is a big staple with peanut butter um but you know pimping up your porridge with some chai seeds and some desiccated coconuts and some goji berries and cacao nibs actually I think that's you know a great start to the day or finish to the day and we've got a question from Kerry Allinson saying do you follow uh, Dr Stacey Sims and her view on training and female physiology so um did you said that you did a three-week block so it doesn't is that is it based around any cycles for menstruation or do you not follow that so Dr Stacey Sims she's fab her book Raw is absolutely amazing um and I think that was really groundbreaking when it came out um my cycle has been fairly erratic um and i do try to track it on garmin though it still seems to be a bit of a constant surprise when it arrives which isn't isn't great um and yeah i've tried logging my symptoms and how i feel and are there certain times when i'm feeling a bit more sluggish in the the month or not and it just seems to completely and utterly vary i can have sometimes when it's my period and i'm feeling like I just don't want to get off the couch and then other times when I've had my best speed sessions so it it, it for me it just seems to be just really unknown and but then I've got you know some female athletes if there's no point almost putting anything when yeah. they've got their period because they just it, it hurts so much and it's just you know some gentle stretching and some yoga and that is basically it for them so it is so personal and you know I'm like working with another athlete and she's had um like the coil for several years so again her hormone levels have been completely disrupted because of that so it's like it's everybody is different the hormone imbalances from being on the pill or using the coil or whatever it is you know that's disrupting it and then a way if you're putting this kind of training onto it alongside daily prep daily stress it's it's a lot to kind of take in and i just kind of it, it does come back to and it's almost like I say it, it's like it comes back to rest, rest and recovery. Recovery and rest is so important. It's almost like the more I say it, the more I kind of take notice of it as well. But I think as athletes and because we love running, actually, you know, taking a day off without guilt can be like really hard because you just particularly at the moment, you just want to get out and go and do it. Whereas actually how valuable is that training? How quality is it? And I think a lot of the times we can be really guilty of doing like, junk mileage from a training perspective but actually mentally it's probably giving us something that we need particularly at the moment yeah so true definitely true and yeah it's so important to kind of be listening to the body and yeah Stacey Kim's but is like yeah getting understanding that female athletes are so different from male athletes and as a male coach yeah it's something it's been a real eye-opener for me kind of getting to understand that a lot more and yeah you have to work with female athletes so much differently you 
briefly touched on before we got sidetracked about food, which we know is a great <laughs> passion, for passion, 20 minutes. passion of yours, <laughs> having had you stay here for a, a day or two. Um, but but, you guys, oh my God, that sourdough was just <laughs> Yeah, we were doing that before it got cool in London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, we were doing it well. Um, but we've not named our start yet either, so that's, we're definitely not the cool kids on that front. But anyway, let's not get on, on to, to food and we're here to talk about you and not our sourdough. So you, you briefly mentioned about DNF there. What what race was it? And was it so? Was that your first ever DNF in a race? I think so. From what I can remember. Um. So yeah, it was at um, Diagonal de Faux, which is this crazy race in Reunion Reunion Island. So if you've not heard of Reunion it's, Island, it's basically sandwiched between Madagascar and Mauritius. Is that the same as the Grand? Re- Reunion, is it the same? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, does, it, does, it, yeah. does it have two different names? Because I always um, know it's Grand Reunion. So Grand Rad, it's, there's basically a series of races within the, the Grand Rad. So there's Diagonal de Fool, which is known as the Fool's Crossing, which mm-hmm. basically goes from the, the south to the north. And then there's kind of some shorter races, but it's all kind of under the umbrella of like the Grand Rad. Um, and it's this little kind of French colony tucked in the middle of the of the ocean this tropical island and it's just so french it's it's just like beyond french but it's a the french accent is is different so you know i've been to chamonix and i can speak a bit of french but here like the french was so different and no one spoke any english and no one made any effort to speak any english and why should they you know it's their island so you kind of like plopped onto this island you haven't got a clue what's going on and the terrain is just immense the steps were just crazy and the temperatures like literally went from i think like minus two up to mid 30s so you've got that kind of range of temperatures within a 24-hour period so it's 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 a hundred miler um, and it's got some insane, like I don't know, ten thousand pieces of ascent or something. I can't remember off the top of my head. So I got, um, I think it was like one hundred and twenty k in, and a lot of it. It's that I mean, the scenery is stunning. You go through all this massive big jungle, and it's old kind of extinct volcanoes. So you kind of go into this massive big crater, and you can't get out if you want to DNF or stop. It's basically you walk out, you know, or they're sending a helicopter in, which is going to be very expensive. And let's be honest, it's not like it's it's very remote. So I kind of got to this point and I, I knew I had what another 40k to go and it was a massive big descent and it was just tree root step hell. And I, I was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And, you know, looking back, I'd raced the CCC, I think it was six weeks earlier. And then before that, I'd done Lavaredo, which would have been the end of June. And then April, I did um, Sri Lanka Ultra X. So I look back now and just look at the cadence of the races in the lead up to it. And particularly, I'd say that Ultra X April, it wiped me out more than I thought it was going to. I then went and did Lavaredo and it was that heat wave that went across Central Europe. It was just absolutely mental. And then the CCC, I didn't do so well at as I'd hoped. And then that kind of knocked me and I kind of went into um, Diagonal Defoe tired. And there was a kind of comedy lineup of logistical, just almost embarrassing to admit that I was part of the Royal Logistical and the British Army, things about <laughs> hire cars and accommodation and, you know, just real rookie errors. So ultimately racing abroad, you need to make sure that that is planned. And 
I'd had you know quite a busy work project on in the couple of weeks lead up to it and it, it just you know just talking about it now it's just like it was just a catalogue of errors kind of thing and in a way you, you know take I've been in this game for a while and it happens to us all at some point and we just have to admit you know we're human um, and yeah I was all set to go back last year and do it um, clearly that didn't happen um it is supposedly on in october at the end of this year and at the moment i don't i don't know if i'd go to be honest this it's just so much up in the air race wise i, I don't know it's, so, but it's so, almost like the need to go back is less than it was it's like i've kind of made peace with it so if i don't go back then i'm not it's not something i'm going to regret i'm not going to hold on to it for like the rest of my life oh my god i never went back and did it, it i think it's more a case of like it, it is what it is. There's more out there. So you kind of said leading up to it, you kind of reflect now. Um, I remember we were we met up in Chamonix kind of before CCC and you were telling me all about the race and how excited you were about that doing the race. And this was kind of pre-CCC and then I DNF'd at UTMB. Um, <laughs> so I kind of want to know what it's like to, to have that, that DNF. But you said you're busy. So when you got out there on that start line, was there already that kind of, I don't know, seed of doubt or any feeling of kind of like, I am not in my right headspace or my, you know, I've not got my game head on today? Or did you just kind of like, this is going to be an amazing opportunity. I'm racing in this amazing island. I'm just going to go and have fun and see what happens. Like at first time you went to MDS. Um... So it's almost the lead into it. Like, I think, so the race starts at, it's another one that starts at like some stupid 11 o'clock at night or something. <laughs> so that was on the Thursday. <sighs> traveling wise, the, the, the time in the lead up to it was super tight um, and traveling. I remember Wednesday was pretty much sat in a media conference in some theater all day, which again, it just organization around getting ready for the race just kind of you know it just it just throws me a bit to be honest i just want to be like a hermit you know <laughs> was that because you were an elite was that because you was an elite athlete or was that just because they had like kind of race pre-race talks and stuff going on or and it was elites elites kind of media photos and stuff kind of presentations yeah. so there was that on the thursday I then had some work calls as well, which again, I just like, right, I need to really prioritize, like, what am I doing? Am I doing like work stuff or am I racing? And I know that I was doing work calls on like the, the Thursday during the day and I was racing that evening. And again, it's just like, that's just put the computer away, put it aside, stop, like focus on what you need to be doing. And I'm not, I'm not great at resting. Like if it's a race that starts in the evening, I find that day weight just torturous. Um, it's almost like I just want to get going. So, I mean, the beginning of the Dagnall Defoe, you kind of, you start in um, in the town, the name escapes me now, and it's basically, it's a 5k, and it's, it, this race is huge, like the entire island comes out, it's like it's phenomenal, and they have brass bands and fireworks, and it's like a massive carnival up here, kind of, and you would have thought the way that people set off, it's like a 5k, <laughs> so literally people, it's sprints along the beachfront along like this massive big road you could be doing like any i don't know major city marathon and they're just off and the fact that you know it's a hundred miler you just would not think that and there's a lot of people actually get like pushed it gets a bit elbowy um 
even though they kind of have like staggered starts. So that was just, you know, you were off. And it was almost, I kind of look back now and like, I just wasn't as prepared, like food wise, I didn't have it like as sorted as much as I could have done. Um, I think I probably underestimated a bit and I did feel, I did feel tired. I remember like looking, cause I've got like, you know, Garmin body battery and I, you know, track that. And I remember seeing what my body battery was starting at at the beginning of the race. And I actually then wore it throughout the race as well. And it basically flatlined at 5% because that's the lowest it'll go, apparently, according to Guyman. And, you know, I was, I was just, I was just tired. I was just like, I was, I was done. Um, and, and it was almost, I don't know, I just remember getting to this point and I was like, I have a decision. I don't, I don't have to go on. Like, I don't have to prove myself anymore you know i've stood on the podium and for me you know like utmb mountain de Saab, oman utmb cappadocia like it's i've had some amazing races and like this is another one i was like i don't need to do this so it was almost it was you know a very expensive way of playing and then kind of like oh maybe i'm gonna have to go back and like unfinished business but at that moment in time i was like i um I, I, I'm not putting myself through this. And so you, you said it was kind of over the space of last year during lockdown, you've kind of put it to rest. But what was the initial kind of fallout from that, that DNF for you? How, how kind of mentally and obviously physically you're pro, pretty wiped out, but, but mentally what was that fallout like for you coping with that first DNF? Which, you know, maybe for a lot of people listening or watching us live now, you know, experience DNFs or sometimes even fear that DNF, and like you say, will push themselves beyond and to a very unhealthy place to complete a race because they feel they can't DNF. And, you know, it's always fascinating to hear how people cope and learn to deal with that DNF and process it. So what was the initial kind of fallout for you? And then how did you start putting things back together from it? So I so I remember um, basically I remember finished like just getting to the to the checkpoint and Ben was there and I just sat there and I was just like I'm I'm done um, and he he was like yeah there's been I think I think there's about four other ladies ahead of me who had done exactly the same decision so in a way I was like okay I'm not alone um, and then I just basically curled up into he, he fed me an avocado and some croissant and I curled up into a little ball and he had to go and hand my tracker in. So then we came back and I like hobbled to the car and it was like, I don't know, an hour and a half back to where we were staying. And I just fell asleep. And like, I don't normally sleep traveling. I'm a very light sleeper and like sleeping on planes and trains. I, it's not something I do. And I was out, Barco, just exhausted. And I remember getting back to where we we're staying at an Airbnb and just curling up into a little ball and just crying and going to sleep that night. And then the next morning, um, actually got up and went and supported people so went up to one of the checkpoints further up and um, because i had to go and, like you know drop bags and sort kit and everything and it's a bit like well we might just go and watch some of the race so i think in a way that was i think kind of going and doing that was really refreshing for me as opposed to like oh no i'm not going to look at it ben can you go and get my drop bags for me um i'm just gonna like ignore it it was actually let's go and see the people who have got through the night and give them support and actually just celebrate what they have done um and then you know I actually went to the finish and saw people finishing so in a way I'm proud that I wasn't like shying away from it you know I'd been a part of this just because I hadn't finished it I still done 125 kilometers for god's sake so it was still like a an event in itself um 
and yeah it was a bit of a strange pang that you know I, I wasn't crossing the finish line um and then you know the following couple of days i was like Let, let's just try and enjoy being on this beautiful tropical island but it was just such a whirlwind then back so in a way it was a lesson that you know it is great to travel it's great to see the world though actually when i'm racing I, I sometimes don't actually see that much of the world in, in a strange kind of a way. Yes, when you're racing, you see some really inaccessible parts, but actually when you're there, it's like I'm in kind of race mode. Okay, so where do I need to go to register? What, you know, athlete responsibilities have I got? Where do I need to do my kit? I need to sort this. Da, 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 da. So it's, it's a lot to kind of work through, even though this race is pretty badly planned <laughs> by all accounts. So it, it's almost like, you know, let's take more time next time and actually have a week afterwards where I can enjoy it because it was almost like I wasn't enjoying it as much so which is why when I went and did um like Gran Canaria the advance I've done the full back in I think it was 2018 and Gran Canaria is a beautiful island so I was really determined to go back in February and enjoy the race and just smile and that's when I stood on the start line in February it was like a bit of a reset for me so like for diagonal deferral, it's like, oh my God, I need to podium. I need to be in the top 10. Like that's, you know, where I should inverted commas be. But then to go back and do like advanced transgran, I was like, I'm here, you know, WA, we were having an athlete meetup. I had, you know, has loads of friends there and I just wanted to have fun. And my aim was basically to smile the entire race and thank the volunteers for their work. And that's what I did. And the experience was, you know, completely different. So it's, it's a mental thing. It's a mindset thing. And I, I control that ultimately internally. It's my demons that are putting pressure on myself. Yeah. So what key lessons would you say you then learn? So definitely like maybe kind of enjoying the race a bit more, if we can ever say we <laughs> really enjoy kind of pushing our bodies for a hundred miles. Uh, but but what, what other things have you reflect on going, yes, maybe what, how I need to kind of maybe, you know, you talked there a bit about kind of changing that mindset, shifting that mindset. So, you know, how, what did you actually, is there anything you can like really put your finger on? Like, this is what I, I had to change or needed to change or had to do to change that mindset. So, sorry, so that's kind of what I need to do in the future or what? Well, just reflecting on after that DNF. So when you had that DNF and you then said, what, what, was there any key areas you kind of went, right, this is what I need to change? Because there'll be people listening and going, oh, I've dealt with a DNF and it's like, right, how do I cope and how do I process that, that DNF? And you talked about changing mindset and it's very, it can be quite flippant to say to somebody, oh, you just need to change your mindset. You know, what, what, what can you think of, the, is there anything you could kind of, you know, share how, what, how you change that mindset or something you went about to kind of, this is the mindset I needed to, to shift and move around? I do think that time does have a lot to it and it almost kind of links back to kind of processing it. And, you know, sometimes we can process things logically and it makes sense. So actually it takes longer emotionally. And I think almost like with lockdown as well, it's kind of, it's been that, it's, it's almost kind of like a, it's, it's a grief. It's like an identity, you know, DNFing. It's like, oh my God, this is a dent to my identity. You know, oh, I failed or I'm not good enough. And it's like those labels, they can be absolutely huge. And whereas actually it's it, it's it's us that kind of makes them more. You know, when I hear of someone else DNFing, I'm like genuinely supportive. And, you know, I, I want to know, you know, well, you know, what, what happened? I'm not, there's no judgment there. So then why am I judging myself when I DNF? So it's just being compassionate and kind towards myself. And it's also, 
you know, I've had several conversations with friends about it and just being in a way it's bringing it back and being grateful to what I can do and kind of thinking about the positives of it. And then I think sometimes it is, it's, it's processing the frustration, it's processing the sadness, it's processing the, the annoyance. And actually sometimes we try to suppress that and kind of just sweep it under the carpet or oh, it doesn't matter. And it's actually acknowledging going, well, actually this, this was a disappointment. This was a hurt. You know, I was um, upset. And I think by naming the emotions, that can be really powerful because it shows us what is important and um, acknowledges them. And I think, you know, sometimes if, whether it's something to do with being a Brit, you know, like stiff upper lip and all, oh, we can't show our emotions and everything. It's it's about actually, you know, we, we invest a lot in our sport. We, you know, whether that's time, whether that's money, you know, the sacrifices that you make, they, they're, they're, they're big. Though, yes, you know, we get a lot out of it as well. And it's just, it comes back to balance. Brilliant, yeah. We're, we're kind of rapidly approaching kind of half past seven an hour, but um, Paul Hamilton's just asked kind of, I don't know how we're going to squeeze this in for a, a couple of minutes. <laughs> it's going to almost be another half hour, Paul. But I think it kind of, you talked about doing this 100-mile race across this island. And so Paul's kind of as quickly asked a question, how on earth do you train for a 100-mile miler? kind of hands up in the air as well which i think the emoji we've all been doing for the whole of lockdown really isn't it when people go when we were racing again it's just this i constantly feel like this when, is will emoji. We, when will we be able to do 100 miles yeah, again we're all kind of, yeah Paul, we're all kind of doing that but can you yeah give us a little insight into how you train for a 100 miler oh god oh, okay um this could be a longer gonna... podcast than we expected in one sentence okay <laughs> 100 mile is insane like 100 mile it's like it's it's taking it to another level like there's ultra running and then there's 100 milers and i know people now do 200 milers and 300 milers because clearly 200 is the new 100 um and it i i very much for me it's about training smart the the, the volume if i went out and ran the amount of volume that you kind of would automatically think you need to do i would be broken so for me, it is very much about having that kind of athlete rounded mentality. Yes, you've got your strength, endurance, you've got your flexibility. So actually you're kind of showing up. It's not necessarily about the miles. And actually, to be honest, Diagonal Defoe, it's a hike. It's a leg strength, quad battering, squats, lunges, get your weight vest on, get your kettlebells out. And that's you know the kind of combined training that you want to do and ultimately it's an eating exercise as well because <laughs> when you're out for that amount of time and you're talking 40 hours it is all about the food and i to be honest my picnic was not up to scratch for that <laughs> that's a great new phrase for why you didn't do so well in an ultramarathon isn't my you know we sometimes say that one sandwich short of a, of a picnic but we can have my picnic was not up to scratch when people goes, how, how was your performance well my picnic was just not up to scratch and they go oh okay bit of an Anne-Marie Watson performance was it <laughs> Do you think there's a danger with everybody doing 100 milers or wanting to that we're kind of, it takes something away from the satisfaction that we would have got from doing, God, like a 15 mile run or something like that? I mean, it just seems like everybody wants to do 100 miles now. 
I think, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it was a marathon. Everyone did a marathon. And then it's a bit like Iron Man. Everyone did an Iron Man and got the Iron Man tattoo, which, I mean, let's be honest, the branding, marketing, when it was, was pretty phenomenal. And now it's, you know, it's a 100 miler. Um, so it is. And in a way, it is. We're kind of we're pushing the limits of, you know, human, physical, mental, emotional potential. And, you know, I'm very strongly encourage people, you know, if you've got a goal, you've got a challenge, like, you know, go for it. It is amazing what you can achieve if you put your mind to it. I very, very much believe that. Um, so I think we do need to be careful how we integrate it into our lives, because sometimes it's like another thing that we are chasing. And what I do find a lot in, you know, with, with my clients in the business world and with racing as well, it's that constant, what next, what next, what next, what next. And actually it's that real forward looking, then you're blind to the moment. And then actually when you've achieved it, it's almost, and I've suffered, you know, in a way, you know, race fatigue, you've, you've done the race and you kind of race blues, post-race blues. And it, it's almost like, oh, that one's gone, oh, next straight away. So I think there is something to be said for kind of appreciating the moment and also just the smaller things like park run for God's sake. I miss so much. Like bring back park run just so we can kind of all get out and just do something like local on the doorstep as well. I mean, and yes, if you have like a big challenge and for some people it might be a hundred miler, but for other people it might be, you know, something considerably different. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting a paddleboard to go in my band this summer. <laughs> my kind of big challenge, kind of paddleboarding. So, you know, there's so many different kind of activities out there. And I think as well as runners, we can get a little bit obsessed. I'll hands up admit that, you know, running addiction. And I think sometimes we need to remember that it, it can be healthy just to kind of step back and have a bit of perspective at times. I think you did hit another one of your goals, was it at the end of last year when you got uh, published work? <laughs> I'm bringing in your book. <laughs> oh yeah, just as we're coming near the end of the I like. <laughs> Stop talking about DNFs. Let's talk about big successes. Come on. Published author. Thank you very much. Yeah, tell us a little bit about what that was. Oh, so this. Thank you, thank you so much for for, for mentioning that. Um, so this You're is um, linked to my. Um, kind of work within the business world so I mean a bit of a theme clearly I love the outdoors so for me it's all about taking coaching conversations outside so normally when you'd kind of work with a coach I mean clearly a lot of the time these days it's virtual but before that it was you know in an office in a conference room in a coffee shop and actually I just find that being outside you've got that connection to nature but you've also got that dynamic of moving so you know walking alongside one another actually the conversation it's just far deeper it's far richer it's more connected so for me what I love to do is take the conversations outside so I co-authored a chapter with a lady called Alex Byrne she did her dissertation on outdoor coaching at Henley Business School and I met her when I was doing a presentation to the master students there um, a couple of years ago after being invited by Jonathan Passmore and that's a total name drop and I will hands up and this <laughs> global coaching renowned the fact that he listened to my talk at a conference in London, um, I was kind of astounded by. But, you know, it's amazing the power of networking and you never know what conversations, what will come of them. So through that, you know, I've then co-authored this book. We've now got our own podcast, um, Coaching Outdoors, which is where we speak to kind of coaches who um, are practitioners within the 
outdoor space ultimately to share knowledge to share the evidence um behind it because we're very keen to kind of get the whole science side of things as opposed to just being you know word of mouth um and that's released um every other tuesday so yeah and is that available on all kind of podcasts uh, apps and you know like spotify <laughs> and we gotta get gotta get this in I mean, you've got the book in i'm now going for the podcast plug Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um so it's all through our website uh which is uh, coaching-outdoors.com and mm-hmm. um we record it in video so that's through youtube and the website will take you through and then the podcasts are recorded on buzzsprout um, I will hands up admit that we outsource the tech part of it to Alex's partner, Jay, who he does all the editing kind of bits. And I'm very much more the, the coordinator reaching out to guests and then kind of pulling together the descriptors and the like. Um, and Alex, she's the kind of academic side of things. And I'm the practitioner. You know, for me, it's about getting out and about and talking to my clients. And at the moment, though, I'm not meeting people face to face so much. They're still possible for virtual. So I'll go out with my phone earphones and walk and my clients will be you know wherever they are in the uk walking separately it just it's just different i mean zoom fatigue at the moment it's like oh my god it's a thing yeah as we talk online (laughs) (laughs) and so is that you kind of going right come on zoom fatigue now (laughs) yeah bye (laughs) (laughs) we've been chatting for over an hour i think it's time we kind of and what sort of uh, subjects are you covering on the podcast? Is this something that we're all going to get benefit from? It's not just business related. Oh, totally. It's it's all it's all about um, okay. So the benefits of taking conversations outside, and you know, coaching conversations. Everybody would benefit from having more coach-like conversations because ultimately, it is all about the skill of listening. It's about asking questions. It's about being present. It's being connected. And yes, we kind of link it to the movement benefits, the nature benefits, okay, the impact on the bigger picture. Um, so th- there's definitely something in there for everybody. And ultimately, I kind of like to liken my work as the ripple effect. You know, I work with leaders in the outdoor space. Often what I find is they then go back into their businesses and they will take conversations outside, whether that's in a performance review conversation-esque brainstorming things, but they wouldn't have done that previously. So it's all about kind of drip feeding work does not have to be done inside in an office sat down there is a whole world out there and particularly with changes due to covid at the moment actually we can't really meet inside safely so moving forwards i'm hoping there's going to be more of a transition and what my kind of bigger mission is is it ultimately increases our awareness of the outdoors and we've become very divorced from it ultimately it's our natural environment and you know we hide behind four walls and actually how healthy is it to be sat down inside all the time and when you look at the science behind it and how our brains change the way they operate from a creative from an kind of innovative from a kind of soft fascination and ability to recharge by being outside you know it's 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 all there so that's kind of my big picture and then ultimately if we're more connected to nature how do we then treat the environment and from a climate change perspective as well you know we have one planet we're not doing very well at looking after it so you know unconsciously i'm hoping to kind of basically raise awareness so that we're more conscious about the the place that we live in and we look after it brilliant yeah and yeah making businesses aware of it as well isn't it because businesses have such an impact as well upon the, the carbon footprint they have upon 
the you know on our planet as well and that's so true for us kind of talking about being in the outdoors as, as trail runners isn't it and ultra runners uh, it's why there's been such a kind of a I kind of believe it's such a big boom in the sport because people, yeah, just wanted to disconnect from their computers, from their desks, and reconnect back into <laughs> connect nature. Connect with their watches, the Bluetooth, the <laughs> yeah, heart well. rate monitors, yeah. <laughs> and hopefully listening to us now on their podcast whilst they're out running as well, <laughs> connected in a different way. But no, I mean, it's still disconnect. It's not looking at a screen, is it? You are looking. I'd never be in four walls vista. again if I had a van that nice. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, it was, it was getting a little chilly when it was kind of minus three. In the <laughs> Have you not got a stove in, in there? Or a little log burner. <laughs> Excellent. Fantastic. Brilliant. I mean, it's been brilliant chatting to you this evening. Um, thank you so much for for coming along and. Uh, sharing your little van with us as we kind of come to a close would be interesting as a coach if there was like I don't know maybe one or two points of encouragement you'd give our listeners to kind of get through this kind of hopefully our final lockdown as we're coming through or maybe just giving us some I don't know some encouragement for without kind of being a bit kind of pretentious over it as well because like we said at the beginning you know as coaches we can sometimes try and smooth things out and go yeah it's going to be okay um but as as a coach um any advice you'd like to kind of share as we come to a close yeah i mean just just to wrap it up it's like it, it it's tough it's hard it sucks at times and we kind of you know have to get through it and it's it's how you give yourself that pep talk and and some days will be harder than others and some days you actually you might just not want to bother and you know i've had off days and i'm just like i am i'm I'm done actually i am to go out for a run it's not going to work i'm going to go out for a walk i'm going to do some yoga and that is what i need to do now so it's about there's a time to push yourself and then there's a time to be kind to yourself and kind of just be honest with yourself and listen to yourself i think sometimes you kind of know when you're kind of trying to get out of something because you don't really want to and then other times when you're just like i'm done i just need a bit of like self-care and looking after myself yeah yeah like you said you know you're 42 now you can do you know do what you like you know (laughs) why why should why should i have to go for a run you know (laughs) that's what i keep telling myself now I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> six, do what I want. I don't know you go for a run. But then, but then but it does come back to them. You kind of notice the patterns, and it's like, hmm, okay. Yeah, yeah there's, 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 there's having there genuine tough love as well. That, yes, definitely. There is not. You don't want to be skiving all the time, do you? Or kind of, kind of making excuses to go training. Brilliant. Yeah, great. I think that's a great note to end on. To that, to being kind to ourselves, isn't it? And just kind of recognizing when we need to cut some slacks in ourselves and. Yeah, yeah, and not just, pushing through it. Pushing, <laughs> like, yeah, but also like, yeah, being genuinely honest um, <laughs> with, with, with each other and ourselves as well. Brilliant, Amory. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful challenging this evening. Stay safe out there. Fingers crossed you can have many adventures in the van later this year and when your paddleboard arrives I'm, I'm, you're, you're on the route so like <laughs> we'll Scotland, post yeah, some sourdough <laughs> get the pizza in <laughs> hey you're always more than welcome here at uh, the Scotney residence in the Peak District it's not to everybody else who's listening though um, <laughs> well yeah you are welcome we would like uh, 
We were reminded last week by Lizzie the kind of Nepalese approach is far more, and maybe as Brits we should kind of be a bit more open and hospitable, <laughs> hospitable oh. to people. Brilliant, excellent. Well, thank, thank you so you. much for Bye. joining. Now Jen's now corpsing, so I'm setting her off. <laughs> Stay safe, enjoy the rest of your, and we shall see you soon. Take care. Wonderful, brilliant. There was uh, Amory Watson. Well. Great to hear some successful athlete having a DNF as well, though, and it happens to all of us. It's a bit enthusiastic, too. I don't mean like enthusiastic like that, but I think at times we don't always acknowledge your feelings. No, it's really easy to, yeah, just focus on the good bits and not hear about the real bits. Yeah, and it's important, isn't it? Excellent. Well, I hope you enjoyed this evening. If you have been out on a run listening to us on a podcast, as we hear quite a few are taking us out for a run, we hope you've had a good run. Hope we've not offended you too much by suggesting you should disconnect and maybe you have suddenly switched us off. Thank you for those who have joined us live this evening and for your questions. We hope you've enjoyed it. And we'll see you all again next Wednesday at 6.30. Take care. Bye now. Hi, it's Claire here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. These live chats take place every Wednesday evening at 6.30pm UK time on World Ginger Running YouTube channel. And the link is in the show notes. I just wanted to let you know that you can find this and loads more advice and inspiration and gear tests all about trail and ultra running on my YouTube channel, Wild Ginger Running. There are training tips, advice from elite athletes, top coaches, nutritious recipes, key exercises, injury prevention information, and tons of trail kit reviewed from running packs to poles, waterproofs to head torches, GPS watches, and shoes, 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 and did I mention shoes? I've been going for a few years now, so there's a huge archive of content to help you out with your trail and ultra running. To quickly and easily find the information you need, simply type your query into the Google search box and then write wild ginger running after it. Then Google will show you whatever blog posts or films I have on that topic. Give it a try. And if you appreciate listening and all the information I share on YouTube, you're also very welcome to support me on Patreon, which gets you some additional excellent perks and the chance to win some awesome prizes. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee every month, patrons get discounts, extra films, access to the exclusive Facebook and Strava groups, the chance to ask questions to every live chat guest, plus automatic entry into my monthly competition to win £400 worth of trail and ultra running gear. There are only about 150 patrons, so the odds on a win are way better than the lottery. Interested? Find me at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Thanks for listening, guys. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails.